welcome to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. And be sure to sign up for the new monthly e-newsletter. You'll get more info about the episodes and guests, and more ways to engage with musical theater past and present. Sign up now at scenetosong.substack.com to make sure it's in your inbox. My guest today is Sam Carner. Sam is a New York-based lyricist and book writer, and half of the acclaimed team Carner and Gregor. His songs have been performed on all seven continents, including Antarctica, and have garnered 13 Mac Award nominations. He won the Richard Rogers Award, the Kleban Prize, and the John Wallowich Award, among others. Sam's musical Island Song has had nearly 50 productions internationally, and his musical Unlocked has played off-Broadway and regionally. He has also taught at Yale, NYU, Temple University, and currently directs the Musical Theater Writers Collective in New York City. We're going to talk today about the musical's drive toward comedy. Hey, Sam. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So excited to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Great. Well, we'll get started with our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? Well, it was probably seeing Annie Get Your Gun at in a Summerstock production when I was about five. Mm. Uh, but in my family, we we watched a lot of musicals on on video. I remember seeing My Fair Lady and um, Gigi when I was a little kid. Great. Um, what is a musical people would be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised? Well, you know, I mean, maybe one of the weirdest musicals I love is uh, is a show called Finian's Rainbow from the the forties. Um, why would they be surprised? I mean, it's a very strange show. It has a number of different, um, really fanciful plots that involve a a leprechaun and a character who only dances and can't speak and um, the U.S. economic system uh, and the the principle of credit and sharecroppers. It's it's a mishmash of of uh, of cultures and of aspects of American society, uh, and how it fits together is really more thematic than anything. Um, but. I love it, I think, because of the way that it speaks to the power of communal imagination. Ultimately, the the fortunes of all of the characters come down to what they choose to believe in and what the people around them choose to believe in. And that is something that speaks to the power of theater and uh, and actually really defines how the, the economic structure works. Mm, yeah, I feel like uh, community is going to be a, a, a big theme today in our <laughs> in our discussions. Uh, who is your favorite hero character or, or uh, protagonist in a musical? And who is your favorite villain or antagonist? Uh, one of my favorite heroes in a musical is probably um, Ella in Bells Are Ringing. She's so integral to the lives of so many, and she doesn't really understand how. And she, there, there's something so poignant in her fear of being seen as herself, but the but her position as um, uh, as confidant and as connector, and even in some cases almost savior for for so many of the characters. Um, she's also very funny. In many moments, um, especially as you know, as played by Judy Holiday. Um, as for a favorite villain, my sort of 
difficult answer is that one of the things I love about musicals is that it's so hard to know who the villain is. The, uh, you know, musicals are constantly shifting perspective. You know, and so much of what we define as the antagonist or the villain has to do with whose perspective we are watching from. And and musicals are always flipping perspective around. Um, so, I mean, is Rose the villain of Gypsy? <laughs> it's hard to know. But I would say that one of my favorite antagonists, but possibly hero characters would be Sid in Take Me Along. Oh, I don't know that show. Take Me Along. It's a it's a really beautiful show from 1959 uh, by score by Bob Merrill, who wrote uh, wrote Carnival, probably more famously, and the lyrics for Funny Girl. And this it's it's based on Eugene O'Neill's Ah Wilderness. So, which is Eugene O'Neill's one comedy, kind of a comic idol. Um, and Sid is this middle-aged alcoholic um, uncle to the, the, the one of the leads, the young man. Um, and he, he comes in and tries to be, you know, try, he, he tries his best. He also has a, a love interest uh, and he, kind of keeps screwing it up and he, he tries to be a kind of advisor to, to the young man but kind of gets him in, in in more trouble really i mean at the end of the day his heart is in the right place but he can't he has trouble overcoming his his own demons um it is a comedy and he's you know at least seems to get a hold of himself um by the end of by the end of the show but um and take me along is really also uh, I think a, a wonderful score worth exploring because it treats older characters much more than most musicals do. Mm. Um, probably the majority of the musical material is for characters in their middle middle age and maybe or in their middle and late middle age, which is um, which is a a nice refreshing change. What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? Um, well, apparently Take Me Along is a good example. Um, there's a show called Darling of the Day that I really like quite a lot. That's another Yip Harburg show. Um, um, and with yeah, with a score by Jules Stein. Uh, didn't run very long. It's based on a Arnold Bennett novel called Buried Alive, which had a lot of it, a lot of uh, adaptations in different forms through through the years. Um, another show that really came and went without notice a few years ago was um, Coraline, the yeah. musical yeah. at MCC, and I thought that certainly deserved a lot more attention than it got. It was um, it played at the Lortel had a score by Stephen Merritt. Uh, the the orchestra was just a bunch of broken pianos yeah. on the stage. And it was it was really wonderfully whimsical and and uh, and tuneful at the same time. Yeah, I wish I don't think they recorded it. I haven't heard it since I, I saw it, but I I haven't heard it since. So I assume they I there's no recording of it. I think they did make one. Oh, OK. I, so they did. I will search that out and look because yeah I, I saw it then I would love to listen to it again so part of it the production was so um was so wonderful but mm -hmm. the the stage was just littered with broken pianos it really felt right. like an attic and so the music was sort of coming from all around all around the stage David Greenspan wrote the book and played and played the uh, the other mother yeah. and I think Jane Hudichel played Coraline. Yes, that's right. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? Some of my favorite complex emotional moments come from a sort of accumulation of theme. And the song itself may be complex, but what leads to it is also, um, also complex. And one moment I think about is the Miller's son in a little night music. And the, the moment itself is pretty intricate. What Petra 
what Petro really wants um, is is conflicted. Um, ultimately, she longs for her freedom to continue, uh, her sort of romantic freedom to continue, even though she knows that it probably won't. At the same time, that's layered on a plot that features a character who, I mean, Desiree, who has lived the life that Petra wishes she could continue living, and it has left Desiree unsatisfied. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the part of the complexity of the Miller's son has to do with the fact that we've seen the future that she wants to live not play out. We're going to talk about uh, the musical's drive toward comedy, comedy and musical theater, what that means. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can start with, uh, yeah, what, well, what drew you to this topic? What got you interested in looking at, at comedy in musical theater? Well, I'm working on a book called, working title, A Glimpse of Paradise. Mm -hmm. which is discussing the form and structure of musical theater, trying to do a kind of large-scale analysis of how musicals really work. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the foundational ideas that I'm playing with in, in working on this book is uh, the idea that musicals not necessarily have to, but almost always do have a drive toward comedy in its multiple forms. Um, this is presumably partly because of its, um, its parentage as the as the, the bastard child of operetta mm -hmm. and the sort of variety show in its various incarnations. These are both ultimately comic forms. And I think that that has that you know that that DNA has lingered in the musical, even in cases that that might seem to move away from from the comic structures. And I mean, th those are probably the most interesting. I mean, it's obvious how Guys and Dolls is a comedy, or right. The Music Man is a comedy, right? Um, or The Book of Mormon is a comedy, in you know, in one way or another, but it's really in looking at the shows that um, may feel a little embarrassed about being comedies that we, we, we see, we see it. Yeah. And I guess we should also just mention like what, what we're talking about when we talk about comedy, there's obviously being funny, but there's also other elements to it. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, I think that's, that's an important point. Uh, comedy can refer to a tone right and it can refer to something that's that that is that is funny then there's also comic plot structure which really deals with wish fulfillment mm -hmm. uh the idea that characters achieve what they set out to they have control over their destinies they triumph um and and i mean typically they are part of coming together to form a new community a new larger more inclusive society I mean, that's how, how comedies typically resolve. And often the, the comic tone and comic plot structure are, are together, but they don't have to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, certainly, you know, dark comedies may not have the comic plot structure, but they'll be funny. And things that skew more romantic may be considered comedy because they have a, a quote-unquote happy ending, mm -hmm. but they might not be particularly funny. Right. So we get like, uh, I guess, what would be uh, what would be an example of each, I guess, like uh, the dark comedy well, <laughs> versus the... Right. Uh, a dark comedy, um, well, I mean, in, in musical theater, something like... Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I mean, outside in in a, I mean, a great example of a comic plot that's not particularly funny uh, would be something like uh, All's Well That Ends Well, mm -hmm. 
Um, there's almost no humor in the piece, but it does have, it ends in a marriage. It ends with the main character achieving her goal. Right. Yeah, I guess a lot of Shakespeare, you can look to those <laughs> plots as like models for a lot of these things. But Right. You know, a lot of the Shakespeare comedies are also funny, like right, right. Twelfth Night and Much Ado. But but then, yeah, the, the, some, some of the more romantic pieces end up not being particularly funny. Yeah. But still having, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, and I guess, so yeah, so I guess there's this, just this question of is is every musical a comedy in this way do they all do they all kind of lean that way even the ones that as you said there might be ones that especially in more recent times are skewing to more i guess tragic endings but like are they still employing these comedic uh structural forms well I mean, I think that far be it from me to say that every musical is always a comedy. I mean, you could certainly create something that has a a, a tragic or ironic or you know ultimately ironic form that would not be a comedy and it could still be a musical. Mm-hmm. But what I think is sort of fascinating is how many shows will go way out of their way to give some sense of wish fulfillment and expanded community mm-hmm. um and so yes um one of the things that i find very telling is how many shows employ ghosts mm-hmm. um or and not ghosts as in their their ghost stories but ghosts as in they bring their departed characters back to share in a communal mm-hmm. resolution to feel that they have learned something to feel that there is, um, yeah, reunion. Um, you know, a great example is something like Sunday in the Park with George, which brings back, well, we get the reunion at the end through the ghost of Dot or the, you know, projected imagination of Dot and George Seurat's great grandson played by the actor who played George and so we have this sense of the of yeah the community that was fractured at the end of act one coming back together in a in a sort of a reflected sort of way yeah Uh, and that gives us that kind of comic resolution bittersweet certainly are you working on something new not like you, George. I've nothing to say. You have many things. Well, nothing that's not been said. Said by you, though, I George. do not know where to go. And nor did I. I want to make things that count. Things that I did what I new. had to do. What am I to do? Move on. You know, and then, and yeah, but there are ghosts all over the place. There's ghosts of Sarah and Cole House the end of ragtime coming back um there's ghost of billy and carousel um and music i mean musicals i think do it so often because it lets them have their darker more ironic um story with a a a kind of comic shape to it um and we also see it, I mean, something with so many shows, when shows move backwards or play with time, they're doing the same thing. So merrily we roll along, moving backwards so that the, we know things are not going to end well um, in life for these people. But they, but the show ends <laughs> with them young and hopeful and ready to take it all on. Right. And something like Follies, which is ghosts and time <laughs> playing right. back and forth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and Follies, yeah, we see these these characters utterly destroyed. And yet mm-hmm. at the end, um, the sta- I mean, the last word goes to the ghosts. Right. Um, it's sort of a very similar kind of ending to Merrily. Yeah. Yeah. Follies is interesting because 
it does have even if you didn't have the ghosts at the end it still does have like a a resolution where they're coming back together the the actual characters not the ghosts they are coming back together in the end they're going to work they're going to try and work things out there's that coming together that's true ben is so helpless he finally needs phyllis yeah <laughs> But I think I remember them saying the the writers saying that they wanted a a, a more uh, tragic tragic end or a, 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 not a hopeful ending there, uh, and they went with the hopeful ending I guess because you know the 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 push toward comedic uh, <laughs> comedy and musicals. But I don't know. I think I've I've also read that maybe this is another way of saying it that you know. Th- musicals have this element of hope in them and they end that you want like a lot of them ends with like without sacrificing that hope at the end of them so maybe that's it's really hard to quench that that's <laughs> that sense of hope i mean i think the only show that i can think of seeing that felt i mean hopeless basically at the beginning and hopeless at the end Mm-hmm. is Mark Blitzstein and Joseph Stein's Juno, mm. adapted from Juno and the Paycock. And I only just saw a um, the Encores production. Yeah. I mean, the family's fortunes go from bad to worse. Uh-huh. Um, we never believe that, um, I think his name is Mr. Boyle, is going to um, be able to provide meaning for Lee, for his family. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and meanwhile, insurrection mounts around them. There are there are mildly uh, tonally comic moments mm-hmm. in it, but uh, but the the plot the the, yeah, the 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 plot never, and to my recollection, achieves anything like uh, a comic resolution for comic turn. Yeah, it's hard to think of, of musicals that just are tragic all the, all the way through. And, you know, the adaptation of West Side Story from Romeo and Juliet sort of, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I think, telling to see what Lawrence and the other collaborators did in, in that adaptation. Um, not only, I mean, putting aside, you know, comic tonal moments, the way that Maria is able to bring about the um, a, a kind of communal resolution Mm-hmm. Normally, you know, Shakespeare will clear the stage of his characters and then have figures of authority or or figures from the outside come in and remake society. So we, I mean, we don't get a, a totally desolate ending, but we have we have to sacrifice so many of the characters that we care about. Um, in West Side Story, Tony essentially is martyred. And Maria is able then to bring about the beginning of the dream that she and Tony um, had discovered in in somewhere. Yeah. Um, the fact that she is the one who is able to rally the the two rival gangs to to work together in one procession, one unified procession to take Tony's body off the stage as the somewhere music plays. Um, it's not what you'd call a happy ending, but it does achieve a kind of triumph. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets into another aspect of this, which I know you talk about uh, with this, which is character agency and how giving Maria that character agency there um, is also another, is also an element of, uh, the com- the comedic structure, I guess. Sure, yeah. I mean, tragic and ironic structures will tend to will tend to show characters lose losing control over their lives as the show progresses. They become more and more isolated. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, ultimately and ultimately, they um, in many, not in all cases, but in many cases, they die which is the ultimate loss of agency and um, connection, right? Um, And comedies tend to feature characters that are in control of their lives and who can make 
who can make choices that, you know, for better or for worse affect their, yeah. their futures. Um, so yes, the, the fact that Maria is able to take that agency at the end of West Side Story. And, you know, and there are other moments of that even in the show. The fact that the letter doesn't just go astray because of a plague, which is, you know, very ex, which is an external um, fate-based factor. Um, but Anita makes a choice, and that choice is brought about by another choice: the choice of Jets to assault her. These are human decisions that require agency. Again, these are not really comic moves per se, but they do speak to a continuing empowerment of the characters. Musicals are so maybe more than I've ever hear about other forms are so based on character agency. It feels like, especially as like coming from a writer's perspective, like what does your character want? What's the, so what's the, I want song. And then what steps do they take to get it? I mean, that's also like a dramatic structure that, you know, shows up in other forms, but it just feels like the musical is, so it feels like it's so dependent on that um, more than more than uh, elsewhere. <laughs> Certainly. And I think often when uh, when a moment in a show isn't working, it's often because it's it's treating a moment in which a character is not actually in control. They may be commenting on what's happening, but they they aren't necessarily active in relation to it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that they can be active in relation to it by figuring it out, by understanding it for themselves, um, by more by parsing it for the audience. Mm -hmm. But if they are just stating the obvious mm -hmm. with, with no particular um, goal in mind, I think those moments can tend to be the ones that are replaced. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I wonder why that is just like in terms of comparing it to, I mean, you, you compare it to um, opera, like I think it, it seems like an opera, we more accept that fate, more fate is involved and the characters, it's okay if they don't have agency in certain moments and um, is it because of where the musical comes from, like where, where it's it, the DNA or why do we, why do you think? Um... I think it comes back to the comic tradition. I do. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Right. I mean, opera, I think it is mostly a tragic form mm -hmm. um, in that. I mean, fate plays such a heavy hand in so many operas, mm -hmm. but I think that also speaks to the overwhelming importance of the music in opera. Mm hmm the music and the composer, the composer as the, um, you know, as the puppeteer fate. Yeah. Fate often ends up being a stand in for the, for the composer's voice in opera. I was just going to say, whereas in musical theater, it's more the, the book and the lyrics and that are driving things. Well, I think that, yeah, the, the, all of the elements are working together. Mm -hmm. So it tends to be a fairer fight between mm -hmm. the different elements, which I think also encourages characters to to all be pushing off of each other yeah one thing that came up when i was thinking for me when i was thinking about this was the idea of mad scenes in both opera and musical theater whereas like in opera you have these like often in operas where characters go mad you have these big mad scenes and it's like is that you know is that the character taking agency through these mad scenes but they're really just going mad and it's fate whereas like i was thinking about like in gypsy mama rose's number which is kind of like a mad scene <laughs> she's having like a breakdown in a way um or like or her first moment of true clarity in the whole show right right um where, so it's like the just comparing like a mad scene in opera to like a I, we don't call them mad scenes in musical theater more like character breakdowns or um that that these mad scenes yeah that they're more they are more active i think than a mad scene in opera because yeah so is it like the characters having a moment of clarity which then leads them or like 
Sweeney Todd's breakdown, Epiphany, or, um, you know, in Carousel, like, the soliloquy, like, where you're having, like, a breakdown and how it's not just the, it's, yeah, it's not just the character going mad, it's the character working things out and it's like a turning point. And typically these are moments where a character is trying to reconcile the different experiences they have had through the show and put it put it together to understand their situation afresh. Mm -hmm. um, we may not always fully agree with the conclusion they draw, but we certainly learn something from seeing all of the different plot elements um, juxtaposed and mm -hmm. We typically understand why they get where they get. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, right. Epiphany is. I mean, it's 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 certainly an ironic title, but Sweeney would probably say that it's his first actual moment of clarity, his mo first moment of freedom. That's why he's filled with joy. And my Lucy lies in ashes. And I'll never see my girl again But the work waits I'm alive at last And I'm full of joy Certainly a moment like, you know, Betrayed and the producers is doing a similar kind of thing Going through, how did I get here? Well, this happened, this happened, this happened Going through the whole complicated plot mm -hmm. And trying to figure out where he stands and why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you could, you could put something like no good deed in the same, in the same bucket. Right. Um, you know, but she's active throughout, you know, right. And no good deed from wicked. Yeah. I mean, gypsy going back to that <clears throat> is also an, an interesting one. Cause I think that was another one where another show where they wanted to have a more uh, tragic ending with, Mama Rose, like ending the show isolated, kind of like a tragic character, but yet it they have it ending with her being reunited or having a, you know, a moment with her daughter and they walk off together <laughs> and uh, it seems like another, mo another example of them leaning toward comedy <laughs> in that moment. Right. Um, right. Because ultimately ultimately the the comic resolution really is about rebuilding the community right yeah yeah and i guess you know um musicals are so seem to be very based on like who is the community in this musical a lot of times especially the ones with like big choruses and they are the community but with the most musicals there's that question of like who is the community here uh in the musical um either with the chorus who is the chorus or if it's a small i guess like with something like i don't know next to normal you have like six characters like that's the community <laughs> yeah right yes um and, you know but and typically you'll you'll have people with you'll have some sort of variety in that community mm -hmm. people with at least different you know different perspectives that then have to be integrated together yeah like brigadoon i'm just thinking exactly of. yeah I, I i feel like we don't talk people don't talk about brigadoon enough there's so much in <laughs> there's so much in brigadoon about especially about community but but yeah because you have like the whole community has decided that on this one thing well actually not everybody in the community <laughs> decided this is how we're gonna live and, and then crucially you bring in the people from the outside the new yorkers right who and I mean, and musically, this makes a lot of sense because it naturally allows for two very different sounds mm. that then can become musically integrated. Right. And forming, yeah, forming a, a community that way through music. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. Like if, what do you, yeah, the question of like, what do you do if someone doesn't want to be put back into the community like what happens to that character and i think brigadoon is an interesting look at what happens to a character yeah. well there are two characters that don't end up in the final community right one of them one of them dies right 
and one of them stays in New York. Right. Um, and, but the, the, um, the, the rebuilt inclusive community that matters is the one in the one in Brigadoon that now, Oh, what is his name? The, the, the one who comes back. I just know one's name is Tommy. It could be the other one. That's named Tommy. No, I'm pretty sure you're right. Tommy. I think it is Tommy that, uh, yeah, Tommy and Jeff. So yeah, Tommy is the, Tommy is the one that comes back. It's unbelievable. Awful and unbelievable. What is awful and unbelievable? To think that somewhere out there, between the mist and the stars, there's somebody I want so terribly. She's not dead. She's only asleep. And yet I'll never see her again. Did you come all the way over here just to say that? You could have told me that on the phone in New York for a nickel. No! I'll tell you why. She became so alive to me that I had to come back to see for myself that the place really wasn't here. God, why do people have to lose things to find out what they really mean? Well, take a last look and let's start walking. I got lost around here once. Too surprised, lad. I told you. When you love someone deeply, anything is possible. Even miracles. to look at all these shows and how like that community element is there it does it does go across so many i mean which ones would you say that any are there any that don't do this that are outliers sure well i mean cabaret certainly challenges Mm. this idea the community is i mean feels so absent at the end of cabaret Right, and we see we see the community, the tightest community in the pieces, in some sense, the Nazis, who all sing together, um, but they're not present at the end, and they seem to have left the stage bare. Um, at the same time, I think that also accounts for some of the production moves that happen, like in lieu of a community at the end, how Prince brought a mirror down so that the audience could see themselves reflected. So the community, we are now brought into Mm. the resolution and we are complicit whether we like it or not. Right. Um, Certainly putting, you know, in the Mendes production, putting the stars on all of the players Mm. going off to their deaths, presumably, but the community is, it actually is, that is a, a, kind of deep statement about community how everyone is actually still involved um so it's not explicitly in the script but it does end up being in the production yeah and i'm thinking of shows that maybe end with end with a person like or a group or a group of people being like cast out well like i'm like sound of music it ends with them leaving the community like i mean thinking about leaving their country right Right. The last shot of the movie, at least, is them, like, walking away. But I guess the family is the community, so they're still intact. <laughs> they're the community that matters, right? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, yeah, and, and certainly um, 
Fiddler on the Roof makes a similar kind of move. But you have the sense, actually, what makes the ending so poignant is that with the dissolution of the of Anatevka, the community expands massively. Hmm. I mean, that's the diaspora is, is a larger community. Right. So that the, fiddle, the, the move of the fiddler going with them mm. is a very important move in articulating that sense of the expanding community. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So even if people leave, there's it's still about <laughs> it's still about community. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, to think about one of the pieces that sort of would challenge this would be something like falsettos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of the bleaker endings in musical theater, and yet somehow Wizard's death serves to bring together the people that right. are left. Let's have the bar mitzvah at the hospital. Let's bring the community together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, one one important element is, or one important um, kind of challenge to all of this is farce. Mm. Um, because farce, I mean, it's, it's a clearly a comic form, at least in terms of tone, right. but structurally farce actually has some similarities to tragedy mm. in that agency is taken away from characters. Right, because they get kind of stuck in a plot that... <laughs> exactly, yeah, the plot takes over, they enter, enter this sort of topsy-turvy farce world, and what would normally be a rational action because of the odd setup of the world can lead to something that they have no control or intention hmm. over. Um, I mean, this is why, I think this is why um, people talk about the pacing of farces being the prohibitive factor in musicals. Um, I think it's actually more about this element of agency, hmm. that the so much of the fun of farce comes from the anxiety that comes with seeing characters lose control. Yeah. Um, and this is also, incidentally, why I think it is that so many opera, comic operas are farcical, ultimately. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, if we consider opera ultimately a, a tragic form because fate or the composer is in control, then farce, farce plays right into that. Um, and you know, indeed, very few musicals are really thoroughly farcical. Um, but if we look at the ones that have farcical elements, I think we'll usually find that those elements are being driven by the characters. So like, you know, Billy and anything goes dressing up as an old lady to achieve some goal. Mm-hmm. First of all, it only lasts for the length of the scene. And right. then, uh, and, and he is fully in control of the ruse. It doesn't go sideways on him. Yeah, one musical I'm thinking of is Hello, Dolly, which is adapted from a play the play the matchmaker which is is sort of a farce i don't think it's like a complete farce but um but i guess that that the play itself has basically has dolly levi kind of orchestrating a a lot of the elements of of the farce or at least once things get out of control she then retakes control so she retains her agency I think so. I'd have to do like a deeper look at this and like compare the the musical to the play again. But um, but it seems like that's that might actually be going on in the play. And I th- the musical, I think, does clear out a little more of the farcical stuff that the play has. But I think that might be a case of Dolly either controlling things or yeah or once things get out of control she's like taking the taking control again because she feels like she's always (laughs) seems to be in control of things i think that's what we'll tend to find in kind of musicals with farcical elements that um one of the characters will often serve as a kind of puppeteer except i mean for the sometimes um there may be sort of tertiary elements that don't really matter to the main plot. Mm-hmm. Right. In Bells Are Ringing, there's that that really weird plot with the, um, I think it's Otto and the uh, um, his bookie. Yeah. 
is, is his or his bookie service that's operating out of the answer phone shop as a um, people where people place record orders and that actually represents a bet. Right. And that kind of goes askew because Beethoven only wrote nine symphonies and so right. and not ten. So the bet on Beethoven's tenth symphony ends up getting changed. But this all affects things that are, are secondary or tertiary yeah. to, to the main to the main plot. Right. Sort of layered on. I guess it brings up this brings up like the idea of a main character and um, how much musicals rely on a main character or not uh, in terms of storytelling. Yeah, I, I think that it's it to me. It's always a strange question: who is your main character? Um, because in a form that is so focused on community, uh, it's it's really hard to have a main character who isn't at least important in relation to the rest of the characters. Yeah. Um, some shows clearly have a main character, but I think a lot of shows um, are, you know, trading off from moment to moment as to who is the main character. Um, that's why the, the antagonist question is actually so difficult to answer. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that this is, this is, I think in part because of this, comic drive um which which tends to focus on community and, and relationships mm -hmm. right rather than i mean tragedies can have a main character because it's all about isolation but comedies tend to focus on characters social relationships with each other how they how they are in society so that makes the main character question difficult and in musicals in particular um perhaps as an offshoot of this and also because of its um probably because of its variety show ancestry, um, there's such a tendency to jump around from perspective to perspective. Mm. Uh, there's that tendency to, yeah, I mean, the, the, we almost never hear from only one character in soliloquy. Mm. It's almost always offering multiple perspectives and insight into all of the different elements that are at play. His mother would like that, but he wouldn't be president unless he wanted to be. Not Bill. My boy Bill, he'll be tall and as tough as a tree. Will Bill, like a tree, he'll grow with his head held high and his feet planted firm on the ground. And you won't see nobody dare to try to boss him or toss him around. No fat-bottom, flabby-faced, pot-bellied, baggy-eyed, bully will boss him around. And I'm damned if he'll marry his boss's daughter, a skinny-lipped virgin with blood like water, who'll give him a peck and call it a kiss and look in his eyes through a lorgnette. Say, why am I taking on like this? My kid ain't even been born yet. Uh, yeah, I, th I mean, I think this this um, main character question usually comes from, I mean, there's always something behind it. Usually it's a sense that it's not clear what the, the central theme is, what the show is really about, what is ultimately at issue, what we're really supposed to focus on dramatically. So, I mean, it's it's not a not a meaningless question but it i don't think it actually specifically means who is your main character but i think the main character's idea probably comes from the hero's journey the sense of the hero's journey um mm -hmm. which is certainly used quite a lot in um you know various entertainment and literary forms right i mean yeah movies of course many many movies follow the hero's journey but movies are much more capable of seeing things from a single perspective also. Right. And I guess also this is just like a, like a, just a format issue with like movies, the cameras dictating who you're looking at all the time. 
Whereas with theater, you're, you're always seeing the whole stage. You're always seeing everybody who's there. So already in the format of watching a show, you're, it already allows for multiple perspectives. Right. You could say that, you know, theater is ultimate is inherently anarchic mm-hmm. in that um, what what you focus on is up to you. The sen- I mean, the, the characters on stage are, in theory, in control of the drama, whereas in movies, the director, the lens is always in control of what you're being shown and what order you're being shown it. And, and you know, in opera, the composer, the orchestra is always driving what you were mm. paying attention to right yeah and what we we're supposed to think about it <laughs> right yeah i guess and then i guess this ultimately leads to a question i think we had asked this in our initial conversation about this but leads to the question what does this mean for the kind of stories musicals tell are like how will this evolve does this is this always going to be the case with musicals like is there a way for this to or is the and and is this like an asset of musicals that this should always have this (laughs) comedic element to it i guess right well should is always a hard question to answer (laughs) (laughs) um i think there's a lot of meaning to be found in the way that musicals do speak to multiple perspectives. There's um, a powerful empathy that that can generate and understanding of all of the people in a social dynamic Mm -hmm. and that a social dynamic is just that. It is not a single perspective. It is a a group of, of, of perspectives that all inform each other and impact each other. That's a very powerful thing Mm -hmm. that said, can musicals move away from that? It's certainly possible. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are meaningful stories to be told that, that don't do that. Um, I think many of us that love musicals appreciate the power of seeing how societies work mm-hmm. and how everyone contributes to that. I mean, I guess we've talked about some where the community is disbanded, but the, the character, you could end with a character in isolation and you're, that you've been following the whole time and that ends and like, that that's that. <laughs> I don't know how the audience would respond, but. <laughs> well, right. That's the, you have the weight of audience expectations, right. of course, but those can be gradually shifted. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, um, and writers are always going to be playing with the limits of these conventions. Right. Um, that's, and you know, much of the most interesting work is going to be coming from writers saying, well, how much can I push this? Mm-hmm. Can I create a, create a truly isolated character at the end? Right. And, and will anyone come and see it? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and these are, these are worth, these questions are worth exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think it's, it's important to explore it with full knowledge of uh, what, you know, where, where the form is inherently pulling and that almost makes it easier to pull against it. If mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Let's move on to uh, our, why is this so good section? Do we want to talk about the, um... let's, let's talk about the darling of the day. Should we do that? Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, the song "That Something Extra Special" from the show, from the show "Darling of the Day." I had not heard of this song before, but it's really great, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, so yeah, why did you pick this song for? Why is this so good? Well, largely picked it because it's a song that almost no one ever has ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a show that was not particularly successful and, but I think it's a really lovely song and it's, it's nice to hear Jules Stein working outside of his big brassy Broadway style. Um, He actually is 
quite a protean composer takes on very different sounds depending on who he's working with mm. and um i think that's sort of under recognized about him um but i love the yeah, i love i love the, the the turn of the melody i love that blue note mm. that gets thrown in um yeah uh you know two-thirds of the way through the a section it is that magic that is his that something extra special that makes a life Yeah, it's such an it's it's unexpected, but also feels very satisfying. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I love about what Yip Harburg does routinely is that he will rename things or he'll look at things from a new perspective, mm -hmm. take the same thing and look at it from a different perspective and see how that changes it. Um, I mean, we see this in Finian's Rainbow with when the idle poor become the idle rich. Yeah. When a rich man loses on a horse, isn't he the sport? Oh, isn't he the sport? But when a poor man loses on a horse, he's a gambler, he's a spender, he's a low life, he's a reason for divorce. Mm. So the same same activity, the same behavior looked at from different perspectives mean different things. He is shifting this all the time. He does that actually in Darling of the Day with a song called Panache, mm. um, which I think it's with a bit of panache and a pan of grease you can turn a scrambled egg into a masterpiece. If you give a dish of hash, a dash of posh, the hash brings cash if it's got the old panache. Panache, panache. If it's called ragout de boeuf, it sells the old goulash. I mean, he's, he, he's always playing with the names and perspectives we put on things. This is doing it in a more, in a more earnest sort of way, in a more romantic sort of way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the power of perspective. It's right there in the, the lyric, a room becomes a garden, a hat rack is a tree. Um, and emerald leaves come falling down on me. Yeah. A room becomes a garden, a hat rack is a tree. And emerald leaves come falling down on me. that something extra special is what is what changes it that's the that's the hook of the song but yeah that's that's the thing that that changes the perspective right and i mean ultimately in this case it's it's the it's it's love it's and and you know and and connection mm -hmm. that does that yeah yeah and oh and and the beginning of that that verse my puddings and souffles to him become bouquets mm -hmm. um is such a great line because I feel like the it starts off so lyrically uh, the song the the lyric I um, we're walking along a river through his eyes and then all of a sudden you get the words pudding and souffles which seem like so pedestrian <laughs> like, right yes like why are we talking about pudding <laughs> all of a sudden but then it's because like that's going to be transformed um, into flowers. Uh, exactly. a, a bouquet, which a word that fits much better in the song than puddings and souffle. My puddings and souffles to him become bouquets. That's something extra special that he adds to everything. And I mean, then the story is all about this successful artist who has had enough of society mm. and snobs. And so he essentially fakes his own death um, and goes to 
live with this um, sort of uh, working class woman in in a, in a little village outside London. So it's all about you know shifting one's perspective on life and they and the way that their their two um, their two worlds come together and and change each other. And you know the other thing that I think is lovely about it is the way that the the music sort of enacts this with that you know with that um that little motive at the beginning but da 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 and that repeats but da 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 and then it then it extends da 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 i can't sing but um uh the way that 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 motive sort of gets repeated and expands um takes us into the new perspective a cloud must come and go Cold wind surely blow And though it's good to know Before the breeze blows sweet again That's something extra special In this world of fancy, that's that's referring to this new way she's seeing things, but right, the fancy, the world of imagination that they have moved into. The song, I believe, was originally um, a song called "That Little Extra Shilling" mm. um, about the importance of the of of the, you know, of an economic foundation. Also meaningful, but this sort of turns it on its head about how you don't need the extra shilling if you have love. That little extra shilling feels like the more economically informed Harburg, classic Harburg perspective, Mm. which is important as well. Um, But I understand why they made the more romantic move in this particular song. Yeah, I mean, there's still a mention of a shilling in the... In the lyrics, a shilling would be missing. If in this world of fancy A shilling should be missing The wealth of love and kissing Should be I, I yeah I don't love the, the I don't love kissing and it's the, the the gerund you know uh, yeah um in this particular case it feels a little that feels a little awkward to me um but uh, uh but that's the thing that that over that overcomes the missing showing right it kind of feels like a, the there would be like a a lyric about the shilling first and then this would be like a repri- <laughs> this could be like a reprise of like actually this but um but i guess a lot of reprises are changing <laughs> change perspectives with the same material but it does feel like this it does feel like the original idea of the shilling to this is another change in perspective in, in perspective oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, i think that they actually uh in the I have seen a, a kind of workshop production of Darling of the Day. Um, and in, yeah, in some of the, the and at least in, in one of the newer versions that was you know, adapted, they did bring back that little extra shilling in place of that something extra special. Given how um, lush and lyrical the music is, I think, that's something extra special suits it quite well. Yeah, I think so. I feel like it was 
if that music were about the extra shilling, it wouldn't quite, <laughs> right. it wouldn't quite work. <laughs> or you'd be like, why do I feel so emotional about a little extra shilling? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in, in that case, it's, it's really saying, it, it's talking about the, the importance of that, the extra boost in life. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, in, and it's, it's about, um, It's about you know, the importance of sharing the wealth, really. Mm-hmm. That aspect of it, I think, matches mm. the music. Um, yeah. But it also is a little more abstract. Like this is this is more immediate to the to the character. Right, right. Whereas, like an extra, sh- they're saying like an extra shilling would be great. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, like if you're in the world of would bees, that yeah, it's a it's not as. Uh, not as visceral a, a feeling, I guess, with the song. Yeah, so, um, and now just uh, move into our last section, Something Wonderful. Just anything in musical theater that we're excited about or want to give a shout out to? Well, I'm excited about the, uh, the one-act musicals that my students at the Musical Theater Writers Collective are working on. Oh, nice. They're they're all in the in the thick of creating um, twenty to uh, forty minute shows that we're going to be having a little sharing of in uh, in early May. Nice. And they're doing some really really beautiful work. I'm very proud of them. Excellent. Yeah, I. It's in, the whole idea of a one act. The short musical form is very interesting too because like i feel like as writers like we we work on you know these short musicals or short forms all writers work on short forms i guess to build up but you don't get to you don't see short form musicals especially as much uh so there's all these great short musicals out there that (laughs) that don't have uh don't have homes as much but um that's great. Although there are, I mean, there are a lot of high school troops that are looking for forty-five-minute musicals for oh, festivals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's that'll that's one great great reason to write them. But I would love to see more more short musicals. You should come come in uh, to yeah. one to to our, to our show. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Scene to Song will be going on a late spring and summer hiatus and will return in the fall. In the meantime, you can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at scene song and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scene to song.substack.com. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald and be sure to check back soon for our next episode.